Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malamud. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was now that I talk to Elliot regularly. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. In our Living Jewishly conversation with Sam Venus, he's actually been laying out a very sophisticated reinterpretation of a Jewish life. The reason I think this is so important is because of something we touched on earlier, that so many Jews, so many people, in fact, freeze their spiritual understandings at a time which is actually the least appropriate time to freeze them, early in adolescence, right? When you're feeling rebellious, when you don't like being restricted, when everything is experienced as rule-based. And religion kind of has the reputation at that point of being a big, bad ogre. But the real key to enlightenment, Sam seems to be implying, is the ability to come back later in your 20s or your 30s or whenever, and to be able to reinterpret the images that you found so off-putting at the time. So Sam, actually what I want to ask you about now is maybe the king of off-putting, which is a lot of the Rosh Hashanah prayers, which when people go to synagogue, I'm not sure that they're always um, thinking about them so seriously, which is maybe why they're not so alienated by them. But you have very stern images, which are really traditional. You you refer to God as the the guy in the sky with a white beard. And that's really what you're getting, the king, the judge, right? It's very hierarchical, right? Up there, on the bench, or on the throne, and here you are. Well, based on the way you've been talking about your theology, it really doesn't seem like this would go down so smoothly. So my question to you is, when you encounter liturgy, that really seems contrary to the way you think inside. So one option is just to reject it. But I'm wondering if you do something else with it. Do you reinterpret these kinds of prayer languages in a way that works for you? The answer is yes and no. So I've been going to a shul for the last few years called the Danforth Jewish Circle, mostly because it's around the corner from my parents' house. Um, But it's a very eclectic shul, Um, very social justice forward, very inclusive, and a lot of the language has been reinterpreted. Like they've created their own prayer book that 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 takes from a more new agey spiritual tradition. And I actually don't like it. I find it takes away from the dynamism of Judaism. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've become more comfortable with the imagery of a king um, and the imagery of a judge because I think that as a human, you should be holding yourself to the highest possible standard. And I think that's what God represents. I think there is, and that's why I think it's important to balance this model of kinghood and judgment with a more loving, um, compassionate God. And I think those things go together. But um, in describing this concept, this conceptual framework of, you know, what is a deity? What is, you know, the, the nature of reality? I think it's actually more useful to 
look at the polarities, the things on the edges, as opposed to like the, this isn't your friend. You know, this is like the, this is what you on your deathbed are thinking about you wish you would have done. This is like you at your highest, most elevated, most wise version of yourself. What would you think about your actions? And to me, that's, that's you, don't, you don't actually need a, a break. You don't need a metaphysical break or a supernatural break in order to appreciate that. Right. You can just understand it as the sort of extreme version or at least the logical the furthest out dialectic version of what you're thinking about, of the concept itself, so that you're able to, you're able, you know, and we, you know, mortals are, are left to sort of navigate the ambiguities in between. Well, you're suggesting at a certain point that the warm and fuzzy version that we always want to apply to everything in our life is kind of counterproductive because there are stark realities. No one needs to be reminded of those realities in an age of COVID-19. There are stark realities that can't be avoided. And so simply thinking about all spirituality as a warm flower doesn't quite cut it. That there's a certain point where you have to be sober-minded about your mortality and about the time passing and the opportunities that you must with urgency take up. So I think what you're saying about God as king and God as judge is that you're not really interested in them as literal descriptions, but they do stoke your imagination in terms of thinking about finality and limits and what we need to accomplish. Would that be fair to say? For sure. Let's move to the other holiday, which is Yom Kippur, which is a holiday that kind of forces self-reflection and forces us to think about where we've been, where we're going. I wonder if you're in your own life, as you begin to reflect on things, are there things you would like to change about yourself? Are there character traits that you work on? Maybe you could share that. For the last few months, I have been attempting to write a blog. And what's the name of the blog? The blog is Humanality, okay. um, which is a portmanteau of commonality and humanism, humanness. And the reason I bring it up is not to, uh, as a plug, <laughs> uh, but to talk about the humility and trying to actually articulate your views of the worlds um, on a piece of paper, or in this case, on a computer screen. For me, what has been so humbling about the experience is that in most conversation, when you're speaking in a orally, people tend not to push you so hard. You can get away with a lot of ambiguity, but when you're writing, things are just there on the page. What you're left with understanding is like, the reason that writing is so hard is because clear thinking is so hard. And uh, in the process of trying to say something worthwhile, not to mention clear, but also, you know, potentially impactful, potentially nuanced, um, hopefully that opens something up, you know, new for other people, you're really like confronted with your limitations and the limitations of your ability to communicate, of your ability to create models of things. And so for me, like, what I'm working on right now is writing, and I think that may come across as either professionally driven, like it sounds like, oh, you're working on this, I'm not asking about that, I'm working about your, your personal life. What I'm trying to get at is that like, it's through the practice of working on something 
that um, there are certain imperatives that are implicit in the process of trying to attain mastery of something that come up and you know so for me the things that have been coming up are humility which are you is a saying that the process of writing has led you to self-question about your own humility or your own lack of clarity, let's say, or your own tendency towards ambiguity. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's fascinating, actually. Doing the writing project has actually taken you back in to yourself, almost like it became a, a kind of incidental journal of your own inner life, and you're realizing that there's things here that you want to think about. When you think about them, what do you think you want to do about them? I mean, the, the broad answer is that I want to get better. <laughs> I mean, the, the general answer is that I want to get better. But for me, uh, what that means to me and the way that I tend to approach that is by uh, using lists. I am a deep believer that the reason that people get stuck on things is because they don't actually know what they're confused about. So in the context of a particular problem, so for me, like one of the things that I've been working on is my relationship with money. I think that it, it, living in a capitalistic society, in a city, in a community that values money really highly, um, it's very difficult to approach, have it, to have a healthy relationship with it. And I think that for a long time, the approach that I've taken to thinking about this was just to sort of, you know, talk about it with different people, get different perspectives, you know, or you could do therapy or something where you're having maybe a more detailed conversation, understanding the, the, the sort of early childhood implications of it. But what I find works best for me is listing out the subcomponents within that broader issue. Right, it and seems so simple, and yet it's so crucial. Right? You have this thing, it bothers you in an inchoate way. And what you're pointing out is that for most people, it just kind of floats around in their head as something that's bothering them. And to you, you're thinking, how can you change a character trait, something that's hard to do? How can I change an attitude if I don't actually understand the details of what's going on for me? So for you, the logical next step is, let's start writing things down. Let's list them. Let's see what are the items inside of this big amorphous thing called my thing with money, right? And mm -hmm. it seems like people don't often do that. They just kind of carry it and carry it and carry it in their head. And as you said, sometimes they'll unburden to a therapist or to a friend, but you've developed a kind of self-reflective process that involves writing it in detail to sort of map it out for yourself, this kind of change. Mm -hmm. Part of that has to do with, with what I call matching the solution to the problem. I think that oftentimes what you find when you break things into smaller bits is that you are trying to solve a grand problem with the wrong set of tools. And humans are very strategic, uh, typically, with problem solving. You know, you give somebody a problem and they'll tell you five things that you can do to fix it. And we're very good at giving advice to others mm -hmm. for that reason. But when it comes to our own inner stuff, rare, like we rarely are able to look at things in somewhat of a systematic way because the solution that you have to, I need more money to pay my mortgage is a different type of solution than I feel uncomfortable talking about the amount of money I'm making, right? Like these are different types of things and oftentimes they're aggregated into like a larger pathological sort of just complex a mush. mush 
And so for me, like breaking things into smaller pieces and then looking at strategically, like, okay, what is the solution that matches this problem allows you to, to basically, you know, I, I'm a be deep believer in this like 10% every day, you know, 10% increments, like just a little bit happier, a little bit better. You know, I think that the best approach to personal development is picking the low hanging fruit. So I think it's a, it's a fantastic notion, this idea of the solution matching the problem. Because what you find when you do that, of course, is that you're often finding solutions for the wrong problems or the problems don't match the solution. But what that would mean is really being clear on the problem that we're talking about when we're talking about it, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you see that in relationships. So this is where I want to close with you. When you see that mismatching in relationships, like you think the problem in a relationship is X, but I think it is Y. Have you gone through that? And if you have, mm -hmm. did you learn how to solve it that relationship in the way that you're describing here, where you're you're trying to get clear on the problem together is the first step. So it's funny you ask because only a few months ago I went through this literal ex experiment with my partner. And it was powerful not only in the context of nurturing our, our relationship, but also in the context of understanding this sort of ethos and mentality around what a relationship is supposed to be and how to mature from this sort of adolescent model of what a relationship is to a more adult version. So what did you do? Basically, you know, there were, in the context of our relationship, there were a number of themes that continued to come up or reasons that I had sort of listed as to why it wasn't right and why I was uncertain about things. So I basically listed those out. And then for each of those, I, I, without sort of judging myself, without asking, is this valid or is this makes, does this make sense? I just sort of like listed out the things that came up as I thought about that. And under each of them, there was three reasons. And under each of them, there was like five little like thoughts. And under, under each of those, there were either experiences or sub thoughts that came up to explain the sub concept. And in the, and you know, after doing the exercise, I had a four page document oh of goodness. like reasons that the relationship uh, wasn't right. Or at least my mind was telling me the relationship wasn't right. And what going through the exercise showed me was like, oh my God, like almost all of this stuff is, are things I'm projecting onto the relationship that are actually not rooted in reality. Uh, they're things that can be easily explained away with, you know, other experiences that are, don't come to mind immediately with, you know, uh, attachment styles learned in early childhood with uh, fears of like masculinity and like limiting like thoughts that I, values that I don't hold if I ask myself those questions seriously. After sort of going through this, uh, this whole process, I asked um, my partner to do the same thing um, with her own reasons. And we sat and talked about it. What you find is that and, and this is my, certainly my experience with personal relationships, is that most of the time there's so much inner stuff that's wrapped up, this, this, these sort of liminal spaces that we don't really talk about, that you, you fear the other person will react in a certain way, that prevent us from actually getting at the heart of like, I'm angry at you about this thing you did five years ago, you know? I feel resentful when you do this. And what was useful for me was like, once you're able to like, ha like 
have it all out. You know, for most people, having it all out means yelling at each other uncontrollably for two hours and then, you know, being okay afterwards or not really wrapping it up or sort of just going on because you're immersed in it. But having it all out, meaning like showing somebody the, in, the intricacies of your mental models, uh, what that's able to do is bring you closer together so that when you're encountering new situations, you're able to look at things together and say, this is what I'm looking at. Is that what you're looking at? And then instead of, sol instead of it being you know, a trigger, it's able to be like, okay, well, how can we problem solve for this? I know that this is coming up for you because this is related to this theme that happened in your childhood when this happened. You know, how can we look at that not as the way things are, but as a process of evolution so that we can together create a system that works for both of us to, be, you know, to build a partnership that's, that's right? I would say that that's really in many ways a good definition of the kind of spiritual work that we do on the high holidays. Sam, thanks for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.